Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 50. Today I'm speaking with Brian Simbella, principal at B Capital, a venture capital firm that invests in the next generation of groundbreaking tech. We discuss Brian's background as a serial entrepreneur, what he looks for when investing, what industry verticals he's currently interested in, and what it's like to work with Facebook co-founder Eduardo Saverin. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Brian Simbella, principal at B Capital. Brian and I actually met at Peak Pitch. That's right. Yeah. And uh, a couple years back, when you were, where you had just started at B Capital, right? Uh, I think I might have been at IEC. Uh, okay. It's probably four, four or five years ago now. But uh, yeah, time flies. That's actually a good <laughs> So, so give us a little bit about who you are, what you do on a daily basis, because that's how I like to start usually each podcast, just getting a feel for what your day to day looks like. Sure. Um, so I work as a you know investment professional out of BCAP's New York office. We're a, a venture capital fund focused on venture and growth investments in the U.S. and Asia. Um, so I spend a lot of my day um, kind of meeting companies and doing due diligence and opportunities that we can invest in. Um, I'd say our typical check size varies from five to twenty million. Um, and I run our consumer enablement vertical, which is a lot of B two C and B two B two C technologies. Um, and then we kind of a unique uh, LP list, one of being BCG, which is the Boss Consulting Group, and we look for kind of companies where we can uh, accelerate growth by making introductions to their Fortune 500 clients. Gotcha. So, so is, 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 is Boston Consulting Group like a big, they're one of the, are they your biggest LP or? Uh, they're in our top two or three. Okay. Um, so they have a minority position, but. Because um, your name is very, like the initials. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it does, uh, funny how it worked out that, that way. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I joke Brian Capital, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, kind of coincidence how it worked out. We did a lot of Series B investing okay. in the beginning, so that's kind of how the name stuck. Gotcha. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about your past because you're actually a serial founder uh, who's turned into a venture capitalist and. You've done a number of really interesting companies. Uh, the one I wanted to, which we'll get to, is HelloFresh. Yeah. Um, but let's start where you started off. You, so you created a daily fantasy sports company. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep. So when I was in business school in London, um, we'd play fantasy sports with my buddies in the States. And there was a company called Fantasy Sports Live that was the first iteration of FanDuel or DraftKings. Um, and this was way back in probably 10, 12 years ago now, and they were kind of the, the first platform to allow you to do real money fantasy sports gambling in the US. Um, and really liked the idea, and their kind of core thesis was you'd pick guys based on salary caps. Um, so I thought an interesting idea was make it more casual. So you pick three of the top five guys in the sport, so you don't have to go through as much research and kind of quantitative who right. they're playing, looking at the defenses. 
So rose some money from some angel investors in London and New York, um, launched a company, had a team of kind of 25 people really focused on tech and, and marketing and BD, um, and scaled the company for two years. Um, ended up selling it to the Global Gaming Network, which is a public company based in uh, LA. So, so that was the first time you had sold a company, right? Yeah. And basically, I'd love to get your kind of feedback in terms of what it was like the first time you sold a company, because again, we don't really... We haven't really talked much about the acquisition process. So, what was what, what were some things you learned? What was some what what are some things that looking back you wish you had known? You know. Yeah, I think looking back, one was just kind of when you sell to a public entity. You know, it was kind of a, a cash stock deal. So, you know, the stock varied over time with the variety of their assets. So, just kind of a learning curve of you know seeing how their actual core business is doing. So, when you're lockup end, you can actually sell. So. That was my big takeaway, you know, I think, um, you know, didn't saw at the peak of the, the opportunities, so just kind of reflecting, um, you know, would, would have done a little bit more homework and tried to, to prep on um, the best time to exit. Um, Do you think that that industry today, like, would, knowing what you know now, with benefit of, 20, you know, hindsight being 2020 and all, would you have stayed with that business, um, considering you know, considering kind of the rise DraftKings and FanDuel has had, but also the troubles they've had as well? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think DraftKings, FanDuel definitely have have really won the U.S. and even the the European market. Um, so looking back at it, we probably would have stayed three or four years. Um, you know, they were built into very successful companies, but I think the. Uh, actual dollar take home from some of the founders wasn't as high as you'd think for those two opportunities. Right, right. Um, just since it took so much capital and you know it's burning through acquisition costs, so uh, wish I held on to it for three or four years just to kind of build uh, build a brand in the space. But um, it kind of was a good offer and uh, you know my first company and uh, decided to, to sell it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because this is this is something we we weren't really going to talk about, but like Uber is kind of in a similar spot. Like the way I think about it is almost as if this is a company that built an app to get you from point A to point B, right? Or to get something from point A to point B. And then they're jumping into a completely different market, which is self-driving cars. And they're spending all this money on research and development, but they're not making any progress. And they're, they're behind other companies like Google and, 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 and like every other company, uh, you know, other car manufacturers who are actually more skilled in this area. And they haven't made it, and they just burn all this cash. They might actually be profitable if they just got rid of their. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think uh, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but obviously. Right. Uber's but now they're kind of stuck, right? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I was actually just reading an article. Um, their CEO Dara, uh, and how he he gets a huge cash bonus when they reach one hundred and twenty uh, billion. So, kind of, can they spin out their autonomous vehicles? Can they really spin out Uber Eats? So I think it's interesting um, as they continue to scale, but you know, Facebook and Amazon, the early days when they went public, um, were, were a little bit uh, choppy and they continue to scale it. So right. you know, still still a, a long-term believer of the business model. I'm not sure the, the valuation is lined up right now, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I think he'll, he's, he's, from what I've heard, is he's kind of had the, the foresight and the vision to kind of really raise outside capital and build, build different business units. Do you think Meg Whitman wasn't hired because she wanted to cut back the business? Yeah, it's a funny story. I'm not... Uh, <laughs> oh, you have some inside information on No, that? I don't, don't have too much info. But I mean, I think, um, you know, heard different things from like Bill Gurley and kind of his his take on it. But, um, you know, I think long-term still still one of the, the most dominant players in the space. I think looking back on the last year, what they've been able to do and really kind of sell different business units with Diddy in Asia and, and Yandex and kind of 
selling off their Southeast Asia portion to you know grab. I think they're you know have kind of carved out four or five you know key markets: U.S., um, you know Europe, Latin, mm-hmm. where they can kind of continue to win. So I think they've done a good job of cutting cost and, and marketing spend in, in kind of secondary regions. Cool. I I think that's great insight. I appreciate it. I know that was a topic that was kind of just thrown at you, and uh, but I that's I liked it. Um, I want to shift to gears. I want to talk about HelloFresh. You were part of the founding team in the U.S. Yep. to launch uh, the product, which I personally have been a customer of for a while, and I love HelloFresh. I think it's, I think I think the the food, the recipes, and and the food quality is better than competitors. Uh, I, I I think it's priced pretty fairly uh, for what you get, and yeah, overall I think it's just a great service. I mean, I had everyone has issues. I feel like with delivery sometimes getting the the box, but like. You know that's not HelloFresh per se. That's the the courier, um, but you know maybe finding better couriers. But aside from that, like, what was that experience like? Because um, obviously it was I think it was established right in in Europe, right? Because that's where it started. That's where HelloFresh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So there's a, a company called Rocket Internet that's based out of Germany that came up with the initial concept, um, and they launched in a few markets: um, Amsterdam, uh, the UK, and Sweden, and. Uh, they thought it could work in the U.S., which is kind of counterintuitive how their core model works. Um, so two individuals, Pitt Carbe and Min Kim, launched it in the U.K. Um, and, and got to know Pitt through uh, through my days in, in London and uh, was initially going to come help scale it and launch it in the U.S. from a business development perspective um, and just kind of so change of management at, at Rockin' and Hell Fresh and ended up... Uh, Starting it in the U.S. with uh, with a, a now a close friend Dan Treeman who kind of came from the food space. So we kind of built the operational infrastructure, um, hired the team, which was a lot of interns at that time. Um, <laughs> sold the first box to my grandma and really kind of uh, helped get it going in the beginning. And I think um, you know really credit to Dan that his kind of operational expertise as far as packaging and food, I think um, you know really kind of transformed right. the industry. Um, and then companies like Blue Apron and Plated have definitely kind of launched, uh, you know, very quickly after HelloFresh started selling the freeze boxes. So um, just kind of, I think, a testament to, um, you know, the space really evolving the last year. And then and then Dan really taking the, the operational kind of reins in the States and kind of scaling it. But, um, you know, great experience. I think um, subscription world is, uh, is a tough one. It really kind of depends on the product and, and I think, you know, getting the, the CAC LTV right. Um, but the company's been extremely successful and, uh, you know, IPO'd in, uh, in Berlin, I think, six, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. What uh, what do you think of the space right now? I mean, obviously, I feel like HelloFresh is probably still doing pretty well. I haven't checked in on on the company's financials recently, but like, I feel like it's done better than Blue Apron, for example, or yeah. even Plated. Yeah, no, Blue Apron's had a, a struggle recently. I think, um, from what I've read and not involved the company anymore, I think HelloFresh is, has the majority of the U.S. Um, and then they get a lion's share of their revenue from other countries like Australia and Europe. So I think they're the number one global player right now, mm-hmm. um, with the U.S. kind of being the, the, the first or second biggest market. Um, so I think, you know, subscription is still an evolving space. Um, I read somewhere yesterday that, you know, the average American still spends 9 to 10% of their disposable income on subscription. So whether that's food, clothes... Um, do you see that going up? Like, do you see that that's a, like, or, is there, or, or do you think that the other percentages are taken up by other necessary kind of expenditures? Uh, I think it'll scale over time. I think the interesting with, you know, subscription, not just food, but any category is just kind of the personalization that you don't need the box every week or Mm -hmm. month. I think, um, you know, if you get it every four weeks or five weeks and being able to kind of order basically kind of on a, 
a, a non-reoccurring subscription plan is the way to go. Um, so I'm still a big believer in the space. There's a lot of you know interesting companies you know launching up in apparel and food and you know kids products. You name it. I think um, long term it'll increase. So you're definitely you're bullish on subscription overall. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit also about you know obviously we mentioned you're a serial founder. You also did uh, you you started the world championship of ping pong. Yeah. I have to know about that. Or first of all, you are you a ping pong player? Uh, amateur at best. Okay. Uh, but I was working for another venture fund, Liquidity Works, and the founder Jeff Bogatin, who is a really successful entrepreneur, um, he had a relationship with Barry Hearn from Matchroom Sports, which is the largest kind of UK television production company for sports. So they okay. own Dart Snooker. Um, so we had the first event in Vegas. Um, so I kind of started it with the CEO and founder and and Jeff funded it, um, and we had the top 20 players from the Olympics come to Vegas for a weekend, and we offered 100K, which at that time was the largest cash prize in the history of the sport. Um, and our thesis was really the sandpaper paddles um, were, were the way to go, and those were, you know, it's a long story, but those, <laughs> until the 50s, the, the Olympics and the governing bodies used those, and then they switched to sponge paddles, okay. which um, really kind of gave the advantage to the Chinese player, and the Americans typically were better at this hard bat, less spin. Um, so we kind of, you know, worked with the ITTF, which is kind of the governing body for the Olympics. We had sponsorships. Um, we did the first one at the Palms in Vegas. Um, and, you know, it's been continuous to, to be very successful. Um, so Matchroom has them now at Alexander Place in London. Uh, the first champion, a guy named Maxim, has a franchise in Russia and a franchise in China. So it's kind of kind of been an explosion and uh, the properties are televised on close to 840 million homes worldwide. So mm -hmm. CCTV, Fox Sports, Eurosports, so kind of a, a global phenomenon. But if think of all the things I've done, just kind of the most most fun and uh, seems like pretty unique not yeah, a lot of unique. not a lot of founders or serial founders can say they they launched a ping pong yeah no know. I think it was definitely uh, financially too you know the companies sell sponsorship uh -huh. and, and rights across the world and uh, just kind of a unique experience on the sports side um, you know I remember the day of the first tournament the governing body for the Olympics threatened to shut us down because we used the name world championship uh -huh. um, just I remember the, the craziness and hecticness that kind of goes into you know producing eight hours of TV. Uh, but uh, I think uh, almost had a couple heart attacks, but it was a good experience overall. I definitely learned a lot about um, you know media and TV rights. Yeah, uh, that sounds super interesting. So okay, so we've covered like three things you found like you found it so far, and we've talked about them. Um, I have like being a founder is hard one time right, and and having an exit. Or, or you know having success um, you've done it three times and I mean are you lucky are you good are you just both or like what do you think yeah. it is I mean I think a lot of it is just luck and knowing the right people at the right time uh -huh. um, you know I th you know just kind of a fantasy sports guy you know knew kind of the industry was evolving uh, you know the other two businesses just had great partners and great teams so uh, a little bit of lucky, but uh, you know, I think uh, you know, learned a lot, kind of you know, being a founder and kind of doing it multiple times. Um, do you do you feel like you definitely like? I feel like each time you probably found a company, you you you've been through so many things from the previous one, good or bad or both, and you take that with you the next time when you, you know it makes it. Yeah, no, even you know, kind of other roles, you know, before B Capital was at ISC and just kind of learning, um, you know, really smart kind of management team. Um, just learning how they really drive operational excellence and really tracking data and LTV and CAC, just 
you know, I think as you continue to grow and, and learn and, and, you know, experience new industries, just kind of taking, you know, bits and pieces from different points in your career. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about B Capital, or, uh, B Capital earlier, which is where you are right now. You invest in all different types of uh, companies, and for anywhere for usually from what series? Yeah, a, I think series a? Se- series, the first fund was Series A to Series C. I think we're kind of evolving, doing more like Series B through D now. Okay, so when you're when you're when you're talking to a founder or a team, uh, what do you look for when when you're investing? Like, what are some what are some of the key things you look for? Yeah, I think uh, you know you hit, hit on team. I think kind of a good founder and kind of management team. You know that has. As kind of operational experience in the space, um, so that's first and foremost. Obviously, I think you know addressable market. Um, you know we're investing, you know a little bit later. So that's definitely an answer you should have a. That's definitely you're going to pose that question. They should have an answer for that. Yeah, no, I think you know the, the where we invest. You know we you know kind of companies have some form of product market fit. So really just analyzing how big the near term addressable market is and where it can get to in five years. So. Um, you know, kind of diving into, I guess, the, the broader core bit, you know, the broader business and then kind of narrowing it down to like where they are right now. Um, and then I think, you know, we're, we're very heavy on kind of data and analytics. So, you know, tracking kind of unit economics and kind of building our own model. So I think, you know, having a CEO and management team that's really buttoned up and kind of, you know, presents kind of a financial forecast, you know, that kind of aligns with what we need for our, for our LP. So, um, you know, a lot goes into it, but, um, you know, I think team, market, unit economics, and really kind of, uh, you know, uh, investment where we see it scaling, you mm-hmm. know, you kind of key drivers is what we look for in each, each company. So there was, uh, I've talked, I've talked to numerous founders over the years. And one of the things, uh, one, one story stuck out to me recently when I was doing, when I was on an episode of a podcast, um, founder of, uh, his name's Manny, um, and Manny Medina, founder of, uh, outreach.io. Okay. And, and basically what he, he, he didn't want to raise money. His part, his partners did, his co-founders did. And basically ended up, he basically, he had like one slide <laughs> and it basically was, he would talk, he would say, here's our, here's our revenue so far. And he would talk a little bit and then he'd refresh the slide and the revenue would go up. <laughs> so so then ba- that was basically his entire pitch, right? And curious as a venture capital too cocky or or, uh, or yeah. interesting to you. No, I mean I think revenue is definitely the core kind of core metric that most people look for, but um you know, I think it depends if you're investing kind of at the seed stage where it's more kind of, you know, vision and mm-hmm. entrepreneur to kind of build a business or if you're you know, a more mature business where you kind of need to dig into, you know, other key metrics outside revenue. Um, so, you know, I think it's always good to be self-confident. It just kind of depends where you're on kind of the, the capital raising ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you were in the right place, knew the right people at the right time when, when you founded your companies, and now you're kind of looking for companies that are also, I guess, in similar situations, right? Um, what are some industries or some verticals that you're watching closely right now and, and why? Yeah, I think uh, a couple. One would be esports. Okay. Um, so just yeah, definitely right. Yeah. Yeah. So just multiple ways to to kind of you know capitalize on kind of what's going on in the space in the U.S. as well as Asia, whether it's you know gaming and, and matchmaking or more viewing and streaming. So mm-hmm. that's one space we like. Um, also, kind of the cloud ghost kitchen concept. Um, so companies that are really kind of preparing meals, you know, exclusively for delivery outside the core hubs. Mm-hmm. So you can basically order from a Grubhub or, you know, Seamless, and they'll actually facilitate that whole order, the, the, the making and, and kind of preparation of the food and delivery at a third-party location in a, you know, big warehouse in, 
in a you know twenty miles outside a city. Um, so those are two that we're looking for. And so that, isn't that just like catering though? Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like <laughs> centralized catering. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know you're a large brand and you don't have the the space or the 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 volume kind of ready to prepare a meal in New York, you know, in the city. So if they had a you know a big van in you know Hoboken where they could facilitate you know twenty thousand orders and mm-hmm. you could, could route your you know delivery drivers there instead of getting stuck in traffic into town. Um, I think from a logistics perspective, you know, from a kind of you know end-to-end time perspective it definitely makes sense for kind of large brands do you think that so do you think logistics is like a it's like an, it's an unsexy thing but it's probably there's probably a lot of money in, in in logistics i feel like there are a lot of industries that probably haven't been i hate to use this word disrupted yeah and i think logistics is probably a key um area right where 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 that hasn't been touched yet or exploited or whatever um do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a key vertical at B-Capital. I mean, there's definitely um, kind of dominant unicorns in the space like Flexport, and then there's kind of underlying, you know, growth stage companies like Flexi, where they're kind of doing everything from the, the warehouse, delivery, mm-hmm. logistics. So I think it's an interesting space, and there's, you know, I think four to five different ways to kind of invest in the vertical, depending on how early you want to kind of, um, you know, touch that process. Yeah, and in terms of esports, one of the things... Uh, I I I uh, became friendly with a guy who was who worked at a company called Master and Dynamic, which is an audio company here in New York. Uh, and then he he just left and he went and he's now working at a, a ticketing company in Chicago. I forgot the name of it. But bottom line is they do a lot with esports uh, events and they sell tickets. And I was really curious, um, trying to get this data from him about the number of esports sales, uh, ticket sales over the pet and like how it's kind of climbed. Um, because that, I think that's kind of like an indicator in terms of how, oh, one indicator in terms of how you know popular the yeah. it's becoming. I because there, I mean, people go and watch other people play video games. They do it online, yeah. but they're going to like stadiums to do it. Yeah, no, I think uh, I read an article last week. I think the total revenue for twenty nineteen will be like one point two billion, and I think ten to fifteen percent of that is just ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are actually going to you know the Sharks Nest in China or. You know, Staples Center in LA, and actually watching and buying a ticket. Um, you know, as as companies kind of evolve and look to monetize the industry, I think you know, ticket sales is kind of the underlying um, kind of core value add to see the event. And then companies like a hundred thieves that sell apparel at these events, um, right? So they're sponsored by a team or players. So not only in person ticket sales, but what else are they buying when they actually go to these events? Right. So. Super interesting. I want to get to the last question before we get to the yeah. lightning round. And so if you go to B Capital's website, right, there, you go and you go to the about page, you see the team, and then you notice that there's one name in particular that kind of stands out, Eduardo Saverin. Now, if, if you're listening and you're not familiar with the name, he's one of the co-founders of Facebook, and, he's, and he was portrayed uh, by Andrew Garfield in The Social Network, right? Um, and... I mean, I'm assuming you've worked with him at some point while you've been here the past over a little over th- uh, almost four years coming up, right? Uh, sort of. Um, what's it like? What's he? What's he like? What's uh? What's what's it like uh, to kind of uh, get his viewpoints and things like that? Is it interesting or, is it, or like? Yeah, no, he's <laughs> extremely extremely smart. I think uh, one of the most humble and you know really devotes the time to to make B Capital successful. Um, so it's been a pleasure working with him for four years and. You know, really understands kind of the core drivers that um, you know companies use to scale. So it's been a been a pleasure working with them. Nice. 
So I want to get to the lightning round, which is, of course, supported by Wix. You can create a professional website today at Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. And Brian, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, so the first question is, which celebrity would you like most to have a meal with? Um, I'm a big Larry David fan. Okay. Larry, I, I'm a huge Larry David fan. <laughs> I think that would be an interesting meal. Um, a, lot of shelling, a, lot of, a lot of shouting, maybe. A lot of, a lot of, shouting, a lot of yelling. He's got a, a unique personality. <laughs> in my, so I think uh, my family would say I'm a lot like him, but I think he's a super funny guy and uh, it would be great to sit down and eat dinner with him. Nice. What's the best movie you've seen lately? It doesn't have to be a new movie, any movie. Uh, I'd say the... One of the best movies recently, um, Shawshank Redemption was on the other night. Okay, yeah. It's a classic. That is a classic. If you could travel back in time and make only a single investment, what would it be? Uh, probably Uber, if you're, if you're talking about <laughs> uh, No, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, things, you know, from, a, you know, work in the industry that, you know, missed on, but, uh, yeah. you know, there's, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of focusing on the next opportunity, but, right. Um, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of ways to answer that question. <laughs> I mean, Bessemer Capital has that whole anti-portfolio yeah, yeah. page. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if, if you could, if, what would you rather be able to do, read minds or teleport? Uh, I'd go with read minds. I feel like that's like, that's like a really smart choice to make, but I feel like teleporting is like the cool choice. <laughs> probably more fun. Yeah. All right, last one. Jet or yacht? Uh, I'd go with a yacht. Interesting. Like, like being okay. on the water and jet probably means you're working. <laughs> probably. All right. Well, Brian, it was great having you on again. I really appreciate it. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the best, uh, okay. best method. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. Awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time. This podcast is supported by Ahrefs. So you have a website and you want to rank better? Of course you do. Ahrefs is designed to be an amazing all-in-one SEO tool. In fact, I've been testing it and it lets me do things like generate millions of keyword ideas, discover new trending keywords every month, examine the ranking history of my site's individual pages, and even identify content gaps and opportunities. They also just launched the latest beta of their Keywords Explorer product. The new Keywords Explorer features clickstream data from 10 major data sources, including Google, YouTube, Amazon, Bing, and Yahoo. So now, when you start seeing even more best techie all over the web, you know who to thank. Go ahead, check them out at ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. Oh, and feel free to tell them I sent you. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.